The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Right. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to Exodus 3. Exodus 3, as we continue in our series, The God of Glory, and it's pretty easy to find it. Hopefully, you know where Exodus is. It's up there at the front of your Bible, the second book, and uh, hopefully, as we uh, continue our series this summer, that these pages will actually also, in your Bible, you know how they like get worn, and then whenever you set your Bible down, it just kind of opens up to that? My hope is that it will, uh, through this series, Exodus will become one of those familiar, those go-to places for you, not just in this season, but also for the remainder of your life, or at least for while you have the, the Bible that's in your hands. And so, uh, speaking of which, if you don't have a Bible, or uh, maybe you don't have an ESV version, which we use here at Redemption, we do have uh, Bibles right there at the back uh, by the door. Um, if uh, you would like one, please take one of those, and it would be our gift to you. So, um, let's do it, shall we? Let's get into Exodus 3 and, uh, and see what God has for us. So far in Exodus, what have we seen? We've read of the horrific oppression of the Israelites at the hand of the Egyptians, haven't we? We've read of the, the ruthless enslavement, and we've seen the uh, atrocious legalization of the murder of uh, baby boys. And not only this, we've seen God working uh, behind the scenes, uh, busy at work, moving events and preparing his people for deliverance. Why? Because what did we see last week? That he remembered his covenant. He heard their prayers. He saw the circumstances of their life. And God knew that an exodus was necessary to deliver them and to bring them into his presence. But lest we think that God only knew and yet kept his distance, today he, in chapter 3, shows up. God makes himself known. The time is now right. The people are ready. The stage has been set, so to speak, and so God makes himself known in very dramatic fashion. And that's why we can say this as the main point of Exodus 3. It's here, and if you're taking notes, mark this down, that God makes himself known in our need. Let me say that again. God makes himself known in our need. Not only does he uh, know that we need an exodus, but he also makes himself known with greater clarity about who he is. He makes himself known with greater certainty about how he is, and he makes himself known with greater intimacy. We may know why he is at work, and it's in these moments, in the moments of our need, when we truly learn just who God is, just as Moses will learn in our passage today. So look with me, Will, if you will, in your copy of God's Word at Exodus 3, and I want to read the story for us, and I think we will be held captive by God's glory revealed. Listen now as I read the chapter. The story goes on, Exodus 3 picks up and says, And Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. 
He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that The king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is God's word for God's people. Would you just pray with me for a minute? God, here we are. This is a massive passage with massive implications, a a glorious weight for our understanding. And so here we are at your feet, in your presence, our Bibles open on holy ground. Here we are ready to hear, ready to go, And so would you teach us now, please? In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Now, Exodus 3 is probably the most well-known story uh, in the Old Testament, maybe. I mean, we're all pretty familiar with the burning bush scene of the Old Testament, right? Is that This is probably pretty familiar to us, eh? Yeah, it's, it's God making himself known. And, you know, many have attempted to explain this away naturally. Many have attempted to just explain, well, maybe it was a natural gas leak and, you know, things, and it was just burning there as it was seeping up through the, a, a crack in the limestone there. Maybe it was just a, a particular bush that was on fire there in the, in the wilderness. Others seek to discredit Moses for being uneducated, for uh, not understanding what was happening in those days, or even gone so far as to say, no, Moses was just delirious because he was wandering through the desert. But all of these explanations fall short, especially uh, when we see just the incident in light of the context, in light of what God is doing in the greater story of deliverance. See, in Exodus 3, over and over and over here, we have a revelation of God making himself known to the children of Israel in their time of great need. It is God revealing his name over and over, repeated over and over. In the bush, in Exodus 3, it is God speaking. And so we can say this, as we look a little closer at the verses that we just read, we can say this, when God speaks, we listen. If you're taking notes, here is what you should know, that when God speaks, we listen. Now join me in in verse 1 here as we look closer. The the story of Moses' life picks up with him shepherding. You saw last week or heard or uh, whatnot, or you've maybe read it on your own here, that Moses, we just got the fast track through the early years of his life. And so now in in chapter 3, he's out in the wilderness shepherding sheep. And there's a pattern in the scripture of God using shepherds in some pretty significant ways. God, uh, before uh, Moses uh, uh, comes to Jacob and blesses him as he is uh, serving his father-in-law Laban, as the, the Jacob and his sons would move to Egypt in the time of famine and Pharaoh would give them the land of Goshen, the very reason why they're in Egypt now, they would be shepherds there caring for the flocks. After Moses, God would call King David a boy who would be tending the flocks and would use him in the messianic lineage to lead his people. When the Messiah is coming and has been born, whom do the angels announce this good news of great joy to? The shepherds. The shepherds who are keeping their flock by night. And so Moses, in that same theme of scripture, is here returning to his roots, shepherding the flocks that belong to his father-in-law, Jethro. And now, if you remember last week, what was the name of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, in the previous chapter? It was Ruel, right? And now he has this name Jethro here, which uh, honestly, nobody really knows why. There's, there's lots of theories as to why the multiple names, and you know this in the scriptures, uh, for people just have multiple names, like Simon Peter, and he was also known as Cephas. And so the same is true here of Moses' father-in-law. He just has a couple names. But equally interesting is where Moses finds himself here. Did you notice this? Where is he in verse 1? He's in the west side of the wilderness, and he comes to Mount Horeb. Not the city in Wisconsin, but uh, Mount Horeb. 
also known as Mount Sinai, or what does it say here? The mountain of God. And it is here God will promise, we just read it, he promises he will return one point as a sign that God goes with him, he will return here. And it is at this mountain that uh, Moses will return to uh, down the line and where God will give him the Ten Commandments. And so just put yourself in, in uh, Moses' sandals here. Imagine him just going about his day about his work, shepherding the sheep, and his senses ever alert for the many dangers of the wilderness. As a shepherd, you would have to keep your eyes on the, on the sky, watching for changes in weather that could threaten the well-being of the flock. His senses alert for the predators, both two-legged and four-legged, that would roam the hills and either threaten his life or the others. When out of nowhere, Moses is keeping his flock there, he sees a messenger of Yahweh, an angel of the Lord, we're told. And it was coming out of this burning bush. Now, there's lots of speculation about who the angel of the Lord is. Is this God himself? Is it just some angels? And uh, the answer is yes. Yes, it is a messenger of Yahweh, likely some angels, maybe God, but we know the one who is speaking because it is God. It is the Lord, it is Yahweh who will uh, be the one who is speaking. And out of this bush, out of this, uh, uh, this bush here in the wilderness is a flame that is not consuming the raw materials. And so, of course, it piques Moses' at curiosity, right? Of course, it, it uh, piques uh, his curiosity. And so he goes for a closer look. And as he gets closer, what does he hear? He hears God calling to him, saying his very name, Moses, Moses. In the same way that Samuel would hear from the Lord in 1 Samuel 3 as he is called and hears his name and he responds with a, here I am. The same way that Isaiah would later respond in Isaiah 6 when God commissions him and he says, here I am, send me. And so when God speaks, we listen. When God calls, we report for duty. When, when we know that the God is speaking to us, we say, here I am, eager, expectant, ready to listen when the Lord speaks. But this begs the question, how does God speak to us today? Should we be hunting burning bushes? As we're driving down the road, as we're going for a walk uh, through Landa Park, as we are working throughout the day in our office, should we be looking for things on fire that are not consumed? I mean, maybe if you see a fire and then, you know, you should probably call the police or, or, or something along those lines. Yesterday, I was riding my bike um, out in the country and there's a big power plant there, kind of, what is that, southeast of town, and there was this massive cloud surrounding it in the morning. And I thought... Uh, maybe maybe I should call the police. I don't I don't know. It was just kind of weird. It was, it was coming around it. I believe it's a natural gas power plant. Um, needless to say, I didn't uh, call the police. I just kept on riding and got out of there. But should we be hunting these things? How does God speak to us today? Well, he speaks to us through the book that you hold in your hands. He speaks to us through his word. This is a direct line. And as we hear uh, uh, the words of the Bible read, as we read them in our own mind, we hear God speaking. These are God's very words to us. Words that can be trusted. Words that have always proven right and true and good. He speaks to us in his word. 
And he speaks to us also by his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, lest we think that the Holy Spirit is uh, speaking to us just in like pictures and weird images and things. No, uh, Jesus told us exactly how the Spirit speaks to us in John 14, 26. Listen to this, Jesus speaking. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, Jesus, in speaking to the disciples, tells them, he says, what, this is what the Spirit will do. He will bring the word of God to your mind. You ever been in a situation like that and you needed to know what to do in a passage of scripture that you read that morning that you can hear your mom saying or that you uh, have heard taught somewhere along the line and he brings that to mind. It is as you are opening your word and as you are reading it and the uh, very ability to understand it, that he gives clarity, that he brings application and he says, ah, this, this is what it means to you as a mom, as a dad, as a coworker, as a boss. As he brings the word to mind, as he brings the, the body of Christ's teaching, which we have captured here in the scriptures, this is how God speaks to us. And when he speaks, we Listen, because the Spirit also speaks as we get out of line and he brings conviction to us as we know what the scripture teaches. And then he says, hey, 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 don't do that. Don't don't go there. God, by his spirit, is speaking to us. God also speaks through fellow believers around you as they point you back to the word of God, as they bring you back to the truths of the scripture, as they encourage you and exhort you and, and come alongside point you in the way of faithfulness. This is God using what his word through fellow believers. And so every time, every time we open up God's word, we say, here I am. We come expectant, knowing that the word of God will not fade away. Just as the bush was not consumed by the flame, so too the word of God will not pass away in relevance or in application in any era and in any culture. So when we open God's word, we come and we say, here I am. We pray this, God, here I am. When we come to church and we come to small group, when we go to a Bible study, as we meet with a fellow believer, we say, God, here I am. Would you teach me? I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to hear every single time. You know, some of us have been amazed at the providence of God uh, to put this book in our life, in the life of our church, knowing the, uh, the things happening in the society around us, right? Have we seen the providence of God? Have we seen the kindness of God in the planning of our sermon calendar, knowing that, you know, plan these things out a year in advance? Let that be a reminder that God cares for us and can see way down He knows what will be happening in our world next year. And so this builds in us an expectancy to hear, an eagerness to hear from the Lord, which should then lead us to worship. See, when when God speaks, not only do we listen, but we also worship. When God speaks, we worship. See, as Moses presents himself, he says, here I am. Then in in verse 5, God God informs Moses that, hey, you are in my presence, saying, hey, that's close enough. And as a matter of fact, take off your filthy sandals. Some of you are wondering why I'm preaching in Chacos this morning. (laughs) This is my one opportunity. I love wearing Chacos. And, you know, it's, it's right here. He says, take it off. And why? As an act of worship. Was there anything particularly special about that piece of dirt in the wilderness? 
No. Nothing, nothing necessarily special about the piece of dirt. But what is so special? What makes this moment holy? Because of who is there. Because of who is there. Because of who is the one who is speaking. And so God makes himself known as the God of his father. And whereas curiosity drew Moses in at his worship, that is keeping him there. So much so that he has to hide his face, for he is afraid to look at the one whom is speaking. And so God reveals himself in saying, hey, I'm the God of your father, but I am also the God of, of your ancestors. The same one that made himself known to Abraham and made this covenant with him that he would be a blessing to the nations, that he would have a, a, an in, uncountable amount of children, that he would have this land. He's saying that I am that same God that appeared to Abraham and then also to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob. It is I. When God speaks, we worship. And this is key for us. This is key for us even as we uh, gather for worship. This is key for us even as we sit in a building like this. See, what makes this, uh, uh, this uh, special is not about the floor, not about the chairs, not even about we who are gathered here. Though, don't misunderstand me. We are special because we are created in the image of God. But when God's people gather, something supernatural happens. See, it is God who is the most important person in attendance this morning. It is God who has promised to gather and if he, or to be among us as we gather. And if he doesn't show up, then our gathering is for naught. We might as well all pack our bags and head down to the river this morning. But it is precisely because God is here that we come expectant, that we gather to worship, to meet with the Lord, and then things happen. Lasting change happens where as we come and we open God's word, as we hear him speak, then it is then that our mind is renewed, that our hearts are softened, that relationships become uh, reconciled, that fears are calmed, that our souls are energized, and that our feet are settled. But this is what happens when God shows up. And that's precisely where I want to be, don't you? That's precisely where I want to be. And it's, it's God shows up here in the fire, just as he does in multiple times uh, throughout Scripture, as he will later and he will lead the people through a pillar of fire, and as he does in Acts 2 at some of those significant times. But it is God who is present. And while we are not looking for flaming bushes, we are looking for his glory. And so we must note the difference here of God's manifest presence versus his omnipresence. His omnipresence being that God is everywhere all the time. But there is something unique about his manifest presence where God is specifically present and at work transforming lives whom are there through the unapologetic proclamation of his word when his name is being worshipped in spirit and in truth, where God is present as his people are, are committing to pray and pray unceasingly, as we are sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, as we are unafraid in our witness, it is there that God is specifically at work. And while we can't see his presence, we can't literally see him, we can see his effect. We feel the heat, we see the light, we experience the change that he is doing in our mind and in our heart and in our actions. And so we worship. What else could we do but worship him? 
as he speaks. And so those that worship him, then he also sends out. Then he also, he sends them out. And so look at where the, where the passage goes. God reveals, he begins to speak. And so Moses listens and he worships, but then God sends him. And so when God sends, here's your next point. When God sends, he goes with us. In verse seven here, the Lord tells Moses what we already know. But this is breaking news, right? We already know that God is listening, that he has seen the affliction of God's people. We saw that last week. We've been reading about it ourselves. We know that God has heard the cry of those who are being oppressed. We know that God knows that he is remembering his covenant. But this, remember, is breaking news for Moses. He's been in the wilderness. He's been uh, out for, for decades. And yet now he is revealing this to Moses. He knows they need an exodus. And so in verse 8, he makes this promise to deliver them then into his presence, into, you've probably heard this before, into this land, this abundant land of milk and honey. Sounds like a tea drinker's paradise, doesn't it? A land of milk and honey, but referencing the good grazing, the sweet sustenance that God would provide. And you can imagine here being in the wilderness and how great that type of land sounds. And it's a land currently occupied by all these uh, crazy names here. The Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hittites, and Jebusites. And you read that and you're like, who in the world are these people, right? It's almost as if you're like... calling back home to somebody uh, you know, who lives in another state, and you're telling them, hey, I live in the, uh, I'm moving to the land of New Braunfels and Green and Hunter and, and San Marcos and Zorn and uh, Geronimo and, and uh, McQueenie and Marion Seguin and over there, and they're like, where? And it's very similar here to these, but what you should know here is that these are, uh, in this case, it, the Canaanites are really kind of the, the parent company, if you will. The parent Canaan was the cursed son of Ham, who was the son of Noah. Remember when God judged the earth and he wiped everybody off and then Noah and his three sons lived and his son Ham committed a great sin and as a result of that, his, his son Canaan was cursed and then became the enemy of God's people. So you can read about them back in in, uh, the early parts of Genesis. And it is these names also that in a promise that God would say in Genesis 15, this land that they currently occupy would indeed be theirs. And so as God is telling them this, as God is reiterating the promise and the covenant, he sends out Moses Did you see that in verse 10? You should underline that. God in his uh, speaking to Moses, he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And even as you read that, doesn't this commission, doesn't this saying, Come, I will send you, can't you help but see the foreshadowing of the great commission here? Of when, when Christ, before he is, is about to leave us, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. As we see the foreshadowing here of God raising up this man to do an insurmountable task, as he is, is, is sending this man who would worship him, and then sending them out to lead the people of God into a new era. God is sending him, and to this commissioning, to this humongous task, Moses has two questions 
Did you pick that up? Did you catch that? He has really two questions. He's like, well, who am I and who are you? Who am I and who are you? And he's not asking about names or titles or labels. What he's asking about is character and qualification. What he's asking about is, well, who am I? Because he knows himself. He knows his lineage. Remember, he's a Levite. They, they, don't, they don't have a great reputation at this point. He knows who he is. And more than that, he's a shepherd, which is looked down upon by the Egyptians. Not only are they slaves, but shepherds are the, have the worst type of disdain amongst the Egyptians. And do you know what? Did you notice here as he even asked that question in verse 11 and God's response in verse 12, he does not butter up Moses. Oh, don't worry. You, you've got this. Don't worry. You, you're strong enough. You know, look, in, look inside yourself. You can, you can do this. No, he doesn't. Verse 12, and you should have definitely under this, he just promises, but I will be with you. Do you remember the Great Commission promise? As Jesus sends out the disciples in his authority to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, and what does he promise? I will be with you to the end of the age. That's the promise. That's where we go for. This is the greatest comfort in all the world, but especially in our great need, especially when the odds are all against us, that we do not go alone. Moses and the Israelites would not be alone in their oppression nor in their deliverance, but God will be with them. And this is what he promises, that not only will you be freed from bondage, but you get me, God says. You get me. I will deliver you from your enslavement and bring you into my house. It is a divine rescue. I will be with you. I will go with you. And I will bring you back to this mountain. It is a rescue that shouts of the gospel. That shouts of the good news of Jesus Christ. The one who would come and rescue us out of our enslavement to sin. The one who would come and rescue us from our bondage and deliver us and give us himself. See, the hope of the gospel is not just the material benefits that we have, the new purpose that we have in life, though as great as that is, but the promise is that we get the very presence of God himself, his spirit who dwells in us now and whom we are in his presence for eternity. This is the great hope as we repent of our sin and believe in Christ that we get Christ. Which makes sense then why Moses would ask the second question, well, who are you? Like, who exactly am I, am I getting? Or more specifically, he says, well, what is his name? See, Moses was anticipating the opposition of the Israelites uh, if he showed back up. Remember, he's been gone for decades, and if he, you know, if he just shows back up amongst the people and he says, hey, I'm, I'm back, and I've been sent by God to deliver us, you know, they would think he's crazy. I could just imagine uh, some of you, imagine if you haven't been in your hometown for 40 years. I know some of you aren't that old, but imagine if you showed up and said the same thing, hey, I'm going to bring you out of this little podunk town. I'd be like, yeah, you're crazy. So he has to say, well, it is God who sent me. And they ask of his name. Who is it? What is his reputation? It's a legitimate question. And to this, God makes his most staggering self-revelation. I am who I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. 
You tell them that the eternally existing one is here, the source of all things, the alpha and the omega, the one who has existed before anything and who will exist long after you. The same one who, as he goes on and reveals himself, the same one who went with your ancestors, the same God who's going to make good on his covenant, the same God that will take you back into your land, and the same God that is now sending you on mission to go and to gather in verse 16. See, in our time of need, when the oppression is great, when you're grieving, when you're hurting, it is this one, it is precisely in these times when God makes himself known to us. And he, notice here, he consistently answers our questions with his character. As we're hurting, as we're grieving, as things are hard, rarely does God tell us why he does things or how he's going to accomplish it. But what he always brings us back to is how good he is. He brings us back to his character. And instead of he gives us something better than his plan, he gives us his very presence. He gives us himself whispering to our tears, I'm good. Telling uh, our, our, our confusion, he says, I'm wise. And in our weakness, he says, I'm strong. And in our bitterness, he says, but I'm love. And he calls to mind his past faithfulness and then his future promises. And this is precisely what God is doing, what he is teaching us, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of the, the racial strife that is uh, all over our nation. He is bringing us back to his good character of how loving he is, of how faithful he is, of how uh, transformative this good news is. And he is revealing to us with greater clarity just who he is as we go, demonstrating over and over how glorious and how reliable he is. And so when Moses asks for his name, when he asks what he is, he's asking about what we would call his reputation, and see, so here's something you need to know about God and yourself. But reputations are made when and how we handle both achievement and adversity. Reputations are made through how we handle both achievement and our adversity. And so think of it this way. When we ask about somebody's name, we, it's like we can say, oh, well, that guy, he's, he's someone who gets things done. Or that guy, he's somebody who folds under pressure. His reputation, his character. We could say about, uh, well, she's somebody who speaks so graciously. Or she's somebody who gets everybody all stirred up. And so what's in a name is character. What's in a name is, uh, is our qualification. And so I am is God's reputation, derived from his covenant name, Yahweh. Derived from the, the relational name. And we know that I am has a perfect history of faithfulness in protecting and preserving his covenant and his people. And so even though now God is sending Moses to go, he tells him in verse 16, go and gather the elders, literally the bearded ones of Israel. If you can't grow a beard, can't be an elder in those days. And tell them this. And so he reiterates over and over. The Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, he has appeared to you. And go and gather them and then together they will listen to you and then go and tell Pharaoh. Go and tell Pharaoh what is going to happen. To let his people go. And even as they do that, it is God who will make things happen. 
So here's the final point. It is when God sends, he goes with us. But lastly, when God sends, he makes it happen. When God sends, he makes it happen. And so even through all this, even in the reiteration, even in the commissioning, notice in verse, 15, in verse 19, rather, look there. He's, he tells him right away that, you're gonna, that the message is going to be rejected. Do you see that there? But I know that the king of Egypt, he will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. A mighty hand that, uh, by the way, Moses, you don't have. That's why I'm going with you. And then in verse 20 and on, he says over and over multiple times, I will stretch out my hand. I will strike Egypt with all the wonders. I will do in it. And then I will give this people favor in the sight of the Lord. And so it is God who will do it all the way to the point where he promised even way back again in Genesis 15, all of these things are God's covenant being realized here, but all the way to the point that the Egyptians would be so glad to see them go that they would pay them to leave. You see that as they plunder them at the end? You're like wondering like, why are all the women there leaving with jewelry and clothing and all this stuff? That they are so glad they go that they would provide with them the resources that they would need for the wilderness and eventually for worship in the building up of the tabernacle. And so God sends them on this errand, telling them right away that you will be rejected. Much like as he sends us on commission, as he, God uh, delivers us, he makes himself known, promising to go with us. But here's the thing. You should note this, that God often gives assignments that are greater than our ability. God often gives assignments that are greater than our ability. Sometimes as we understand what God is sending us to do, it's like he's asking us to build a skyscraper. And how many of us in this room can build a skyscraper? I, I can't. Maybe you can. Maybe you uh, have the know-how. But he, it's God when he, when he assigns us something, when he calls us to a level of faithfulness, when he calls us to go with the gospel, it's in those moments where we think, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can get through this. There's no way I can go on. There's no way that person will believe. There's no way that relationship can be salvaged. It's in those moments God is calling us to faithfulness so he gets the glory, so our faith is put to work, and so that the people around us are amazed, not by us, but how great God is. And it's in these moments where God makes himself known, where he reveals his wisdom, where he reveals his love, where he reveals his power and his, his sturdiness. See, it's in our need. We listen to the Lord, we worship him, and while he goes with us and he does the work, uh, often despite us. And I don't know about you, but I feel like in, in 2020, I've prayed this often, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I, I need you to give comfort in the midst of this immense grief. I need you to, to give wisdom the way through this pandemic. I need you to protect us from this virus. I need you to, to, to comfort our struggling black brothers and sisters. We need you to uphold justice, to maintain unity. We need you. And in the midst of all of those insurmountable mountains of 2020, if we would just turn aside to see the blaze of his glory, listening as he speaks, telling the Lord, here I am, here I am. And he would give us his presence and a greater glimpse of his character and certainty about his work, especially in whatever we need. It is here that God shows up 
And he makes himself known saying, don't worry, I am is here. Let's pray. God in heaven.